0: Let the truck! You are listening to What's the truck.
1: Hey, are you ready to truck it? It's Dooner. And Craig Fuller. i got to come up with a high-energy...
2: Uh, I don't have the cowbell, but well,
1: uh, you do you want to? We, we'll do it later. <laughs> we'll save it okay. at the end of the show. <laughs> I was going to say now that now that U.S. Express is sold, he is now the, the new co-host of of what the truck <laughs> <laughs> only for today.
2: I, yeah, yeah, just for today. So this is not an official thing. <laughs> First of all, I didn't work at U.S. Express in many, many
1: years. No, so you it's haven't. not like I all of a sudden have something free to do. So, well, you know, we're gonna we're gonna do an interesting take on this because you are an interesting person and in an interesting position here. Not only do you. Run a media company, but your dad started U.S. Express when you were, like, what, six years old? Yeah,
2: it was 1985. I remember the day he came home. So he was working. My grandfather had a company. There's actually a great video uh, that you can find on YouTube or on TV. But the interview that my dad did about the legacy of the start of U.S. Express, and it was, it was a really interesting time. In fact, I, when I, we did that video here at FreightWaves, Waves, um, I actually learned a lot of things about that story I didn't know. But he came home in 1985 and said he'd quit his job and was going to start his own company. I was six years old. I didn't know what that meant. My mom was in tears. She was distraught because she like, wait, I have to feed feed the kids <laughs> and you're going to go do this. And uh, he went out and started it. And uh, so it was, you know, I'm 44 years now, 44 years old. Happy birthday, by the way. By the way, thank you. Um So 38 years of my life, this has been a part of our family. In many ways, it's like a, it's like a brother to us. Like you're, you know, and this was, we were heavily involved in seeing the business grow up from a trailer, you know, located in the
1: trailer to where it has become today. You know, I've interviewed you multiple times and U.S. Express is very much in your DNA, or at least being raised in the trucking industry. You've always called yourself a trucking brat. You even told me that story about how, like, when Teddy Ruxpins were huge, you'd, you remember sitting there back at, in your lot, and you're looking at a 53-foot trailer full of, of Teddy Ruxpin toys. How does it? How does this, regardless of everything else, just the son of U.S. Express, how does this kind of impact you, and how do the news affect you? Yeah,
2: look, I, I think it's a bittersweet outcome, dinner. Um, It is not... Look, I think... Uh, and I won't talk a lot about the deal. I don't think it's fair for me to comment on it., um, but I will say this is a this is a the right home for the company. I think you know Knight Swift is the right management team that um, can lead the next generation of US Express. Uh, and they've done this with multiple companies of really taking strong foundations and building upon them and making them incredibly great operators. Um, so th- in that sense, I think this is the right. It's the right place and the right home for the company. And I'm proud that it has the opportunity. In fact, it's funny because um, over the last couple of years, as we've covered this from freight waves and as sort of an observer, as well as having, you know, uh, some, some ownership of the company through my family trust, I'm obviously impacted in just the family, you know, yeah. sort of what's happening the family standpoint. Um, I always felt like that this was an inevitable outcome. I always felt like, When it became obvious to me that the company was was not what it used to be and was starting to really really struggle that it was going to create the opportunity for an exit and frankly night swift was the obvious name in fact because I had no information and, and have largely been kept out of any of the quote-unquote inside information of the company, I have to act like a reporter and sort of <laughs> the same way we would look at any sort of deal. And so we started thinking about just tracking even the airplanes of the Night Swift <laughs> and figuring out where the U.S. Express Jet is, the Night Swift Jet, and see if they'd ever triangulate to say, is something happening? Because it always felt like it was inevitable that this would take place. So it isn't a surprise uh, from my perspective that this is whom bought it nor is it a surprise that it's happening based on the struggles that U.S. Express has had in, in recent years.
1: U.S. Express, they they cast a big shadow, and you, and you kind of touched on it. You're in a very interesting position in terms of helping run editorial here, directing stories and all that stuff. Does that create does that create any conflict with having U.S. Express? How did you manage that?
2: You know, I, we kept our distance, right? Yeah. So I, I, you know,
1: we had, edit,
2: we had journalists that were covering U.S. Express. Um, we, you know, John Kingston has been the one doing earnings reports. And, like, I, I will say that if you look at the coverage we had over the last couple of years, we always, you know, we were some of the harshest critics. I mean, some of the John Kingston's coverage of U.S. Express – was incredibly harsh at, at, at some of the conditions of the company and some of their earnings. And and frankly, we were in somewhat ways responsible for bringing a lot of awareness and light to some of the challenges that the company's been facing. Um, for folks that don't follow the stock, sort of the, the stock analysts, but take their, most of their media comes from freight or interpretation of, of the freight market comes from the freight media, we certainly were the, probably the harshest critic of of u s Express and some of the uh, decisions that they made over the last couple of years and that's difficult i mean it's it's difficult because you're like i'm you know this is a family business in yeah. many ways and um, and it's painful to watch the business you know as 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 a, as, a, as like a brother if you will sort of struggle and you know that it's not healthy the way it used to be and sort of see it from the outside, knowing that I can't do anything about it but also have to provide transparency and awareness uh, to the market because we have a responsibility at Freight Waves. And um, that created some challenges for me personally. But I felt like we did the right thing in covering it. If you go back through the history of it, you'll find that um, that we, we took a real strong eye to it. And the nice thing for me now is that is no longer an issue. <laughs> That's true. Um, uh, and so we we can continue to, to report uh, on the market.
1: Now – was this always the plan? I mean, the, the US Express name is so associated with the, the Fuller name. Is this a company that you thought would always kind of be passed the baton or would be passed down through the family? Or was it was it like-
2: always a multi-generational plan. Yeah. And the thought was that my brother would take it to another generation. And I think if you look at the last couple of years, it is not the same company it, it, was, it once was. It was not the same company when it went public. Like, In fact, if you look at the history of the company, It's only been three years the company's ever lost money. In 2008, every company in America at some point lost money or wasn't doing as well. But in 2008, it lost money. Uh, And then in 2021 and 22, or the the other two years, it lost money. And so it is not the same company it once was. Uh, And that is a sad reality. I think one of the things that I'm incredibly proud of is the legacy that my father built, how hard he worked to build that business. You know built it into one of the ic- iconic names of our industry, and a lot of the talent that exists not only in this community, but certainly this community in Chattanooga, a lot of the freight talent. the reason that Freight Alley exists is because of that u s. Express mafia that went out and worked in a lot of these uh, brokerages and 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 trucking companies that exist in this community. And if you think about that, their impact has really driven the success of Chattanooga's logistics sector because you have so much talent that's been distributed um and I, I'm quite proud of of what they did and you know my my father has proud legacy of being you know my dad one of the things that's interesting about this transaction is that u s press even in, in some of the struggles it's had, their operating cost and the maintenance was, was – the operating cost was lower than uh, the, the market. The maintenance cost uh, or the, the, the equipment was modern and, and well-kept. It's not typically what you would see from a, a, a company struggling. Typically what happens when companies struggle is they, they don't invest in the equipment. They don't invest in their trucks. That is not what happened here. So Knight is getting a fantastically ran maintenance, uh, a fantastic set of assets that are going to be great for them. And, and so they get this really modern, well-kept, and well-maintained fleet. And I think if you look at my father's and and the, com- the folks that he hired, their greatest uh, f- successes in this industry was implementing and testing new technologies that made trucks safer, things like Very early adopters in anti-lock brakes when they first came out, uh, automatic transmissions, the Eaton-Vorad collision avoidance systems that were there. That was my dad's superpower in in building the most modern or aspiring to build the most modern fleet out there that made the driver's job safer, uh, more comfortable, and created a really great – uh, truck, and that was where he focused. He he loves that stuff, um, and that's still today a part of the legacy. It's part of the company that, frankly, wasn't overhauled or changed. It's the one area that he still had an enormous amount of influence on, and it reflects basically in how well the company is operating
1: in I, in that area. I, I I love your mom and dad. I, I, every time I see Max out at a conference, he comes over, he shakes your hand, he 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 says something nice about about the show or the event. He always says something nice to say. How, how is this impacting him?
2: I think it's a sad day. Uh, I mean, I, this is, it's a strange thing if you've, you know, the reality is he spent, you know, like I said, this is a company that's been around for, you know, many, many decades and he spent his whole life. He's 72 years old and you spent your whole life and your legacy working and trucking and that day's over. And like, you know, a lot of people get caught up in the financial aspects of it, and, and certainly that's that wins. But the, the lifestyle changes aren't different, right? Yeah. Like, you already have this big business and it's successful, um, it's not going to change. But what is sort of challenging is that he's no longer going to be uh, in a fleet operation, and I think that he's going to miss a lot of that. Now, hopefully. Uh, the the free time that he gets now, uh, uh, with in sort of the transition, and it, we'll call it semi-retirement. Yeah, because he's not going to retire very long. Hopefully, he'll apply that uh, level of expertise and um, working with some of the technology providers. Um, I imagine he's going to be very engaged in and thinking about the future of the industry without having to operate in the industry. But what it yeah. really means, he's always had a vision for that. Um, and I, he and I have got some projects. We're also, uh, cooking up as we speak. I can't tell you what it is. I won't tease it just yet, but you can guess it has something to do with aviation. I was going to say, are you so, teaching
1: him how to fly? Are you like, no, he's
2: not going to teach to fly. He won't? It, there are some business opportunities involved in aviation that I think now, uh, we have some liquidity yeah, and, uh, things that I've been wanting to do in aviation. So we'll see that. So now I have no, just to be clear. Uh, this is going to be his, uh, projects. I'm still going to be here at Freightways and excited. And I think our best days at Freightways are ahead of us. Um, but I do think, um, that there's going to be a lot of opportunities open up for the family to do some interesting things.
1: Million-dollar question, though, and this has come up a lot. It's come up online last two years, historic in terms of rates and everything. Why do you think it was that U.S. Express, and maybe there's other companies like them, other megas like them, that they just weren't able to capture the market during that time? What happened? I actually think U.S.
2: Express was an exception. Yeah. I think Variant was largely responsible. So Variant required—it was a massive bet. And look, I think if it had been successful— then, and in theory on paper, it looked great, right? But if it had been successful, then it could have changed the way the over-the-road trucking business worked. But I think it wasn't, clearly it wasn't successful. I mean, it, it, it really struggled. Uh, the company has struggled ever since the implementation of that. So it was created in 2019, uh, sort of incubated there, um, launched, and, and it required an overhaul of their entire operations, so, if you look at the business, the over-the-road trucking business was sort of folded into what became Variant. That has really been the cash drain and the operational drain of the company. It distracted management. Um, some of the management that was there left because they didn't agree with sort of the direction of the company. Uh, and that's the two years of the last two years of the years that they've been, you know, has the company's lost money. So, I think Variant was an experiment that, unfortunately, this is the type of experiments you would expect in Silicon Valley. Yeah. Yeah. Sort of, you know burn it all down, break things. The problem is that um doing it inside of a publicly traded company of that scale in trucking's a difficult business meant that they missed they they changed the business the way the business operated in a really challenging period with covid and all the destruction that takes place and surge of volume and inconsistencies and routing guides and all that happened, the backdrop, you're doing this really transformative technology implementation that required not only technology changes, but required behavioral changes among the drivers and the way you dispatch your trucks inside the company, the way you self freight, the way drivers interact with it. It required that the very same time that the economy was going through the, one of the most destructive and volatile periods in history – and it just all blew up, and it really, I think, took the legacy business that was incredibly strong, was doing really well, a lot of promise, and effectively destroyed a lot of that momentum.
1: So that is like when people are trying to bring in, in tech or these new things. That's that's like the number one fear, right? It, worst case scenario, it 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 breaks. It company. broke it. It
2: totally br- it, it, it. That's a great description.
1: Well, what kind of lesson can we learn here for companies that are trying to scale up tech?
2: Like, I think. There's a tendency to want to do the venture game. It's sexy, it's cool. The reason venture capital exists is these VCs are making a lot of really small bets, right? So they may invest 10 million dollars or a million dollars or you know even some of these bigger bets are 100 million, but they're they're doing it inside of funds that have 10 or 20 of those companies. So if they if one of those 100 million bets goes wrong, then they're able to, you know, That's not fun, but they were able to write it off and look at some of the other bets. That's the model. The problem of doing it in something so big and going so big with this uh, in a single company is that because it required so many changes so quickly at a time when the economy was incredibly volatile, uh, it means that – It it was it was hard to recover that. I mean, as a VC, you can walk away from your investment, you can shut it down. That's the only money you lose. But when you're talking about a business that um, that had a true cash flow position and was truly profitable and was operating well, it was a it was a very painful thing. I think big companies have to be careful, and this is the reason we all sort of like look at big companies these slow behemoths. There's a reason for that. I would tell you as a founder of, of a small company at one point to a you know a, a lar- larger company now having 200 employees and having a lot of customers and you know we're a, we're a we're a mid-sized company today it's funny cuz i look at things now differently and i'm like man we're we're kind of slow at some stuff like we are a bureaucracy of our own making and it's like man decisions used to be so great when i could just do them <laughs> i'm like do do this yes. and there was nobody else to say no and you're like well, Craig said it those ex- days don't exist for us anymore it means that you're slower to produce things, but it also means that the business is, is more stable and secure. And I, I think the bet at U.S. Express was break it, burn it down, we're going to go all in. And, and they did not find proper uh, proper product market fit. And in, in the process, it really impacted. The, there are still some great parts of U.S. Express that did not suffer uh, the hands of the variant experiment. Total is exceptionally profitable, the dedicated business has done really well. It's that core truckload business that really suffered uh, the pain.
1: Well, you put out a tweet. You said, prediction, there will be another major truckload merger announced in the next 90 days. Who do you think it will be? We've had some some guesses. We had Werner and Pam Transport. Uh, we had Covenant and ODU. We had Landstar, J.B. Hunt, TFI best, That's a rumor. You got any predictions? Well, this thing's come
2: in trends. And yeah. I think,
1: look, U.S. Press was a, like a special case – Night Swift
2: is getting a fantastic bill uh, if they can really implement their strategy the way that they they should be able to. Um, the but there will be more. And the reason I say that is when you ever have these massive changes in the economy and particularly in freight, it means that you know in trucking, this is typically the cycle where people are like when you ha- because what we've been through, um, this is the cycle where we see a lot of activity. Companies with big healthy balance sheets, Night Swift is a great example of that. Um, have the opportunity to buy companies. And, and be acquirers. So I think we're going to see that. That's my prediction. We'll see another one. We, we've seen these batch up in the history where you start to see them happen. I think this is the first of it. Um, I'll make a bet. I have no information, but I bet Schneider's on that list of acquiring. That's my bold prediction is that Schneider will be an acquirer. I don't know that. I have no yeah. information about that, but that's my bet. And the only reason I say that is they have a massive cash position and um, they uh, are... If you have a massive cash position in trucking and you're not paying that out to dividends to shareholders, it probably means that you're, you're building up a war chest to go buy something. So I think they could be involved in something uh, significant.
1: My last question before I let you go, as a Chattanoogan, Thoughts on U.S. Express had such a legacy. Employed so many people here. Uh, the trailers are ubiquitous. Um, reminds me when I was a kid growing up seeing New England motor freight trailers yeah. everywhere, and then they were they were kind of gone. I, I don't think... Night Swift's not changing the brand yet or anything like that, are No,
2: they? no. Night Swift plans on keeping it. Um, I think 99% of the employees, the plans, at least as I understand them, uh, they'll retain them. Um, they have a great opportunity. There's some great folks that are involved there. You know, one of the things that I would say that is underappreciated, that is certainly known by people but largely uh, not talked about is U.S. Express was a fantastic university and an academy for teaching trucking 101. And you see it in this community is that there are so many people that have worked inside of the the U.S. Express system that have gone out to other trucking companies, not only in Chattanooga, but around the country. And that legacy will live on. Um, and I, look, it's a proud legacy. Um, this is certainly not the outcome that we all hoped for uh, over the last couple of years as family members. I, the plan was to make this a multi-generational company. Uh, at least that was the what we all sort of understood it to be. Um, and, but I would say that I am exceptionally proud, especially if you go back to, um, you know, just a couple of years, you pull back the clock a couple of years. It is an enormously proud legacy that I think um certainly served our family. But but look, a lot of what we do at Freightways, mm-hmm. you know, we have 12 employees that currently work at Freight that worked at US Express that got their start there. And then you have even many more that have Spouses and family members that work there, even today, and certainly everyone uh, has friends. So a lot of the foundational processes of understanding trucking really started with that academy, where you have people that started their career there, learned it, and now have gone out to do great things. So that legacy is going to continue to live on, even if uh, you know it's no longer a family business. Well,
1: we do have Freightways too, though. So we do have freightways and freightways is <laughs> you badass. We so like
2: here. by the way, freightways is awesome. And I I will I will say this is um my father is my greatest inspiration. Yeah. Uh he taught me the trucking business when I was a little boy. He started the business when I was six. And I used to ride in cars with him and he would tell me all the stories about trucking, but his legacy Is going to live through freight waves, and that is that is the greatest thing that I think I can do for it to honor him is to and honor what US Express has meant to me in this community is to continue to carry the torch of that understanding of trucking and move it in that love of it. He loved this, he loves this business, uh, and be a part of sharing that love to our community that is this industry.
1: Well, now that he has a little free time. He has
2: some free time. Maybe he'll be on this show. He should should stop
1: by the studio more often. He brings a lot of insight. I think you said it perfectly. There is plenty of opportunity to carry his legacy on, be it through a microphone on the camera and what we're doing in Chattanooga. So so Jenner, you
2: know, maybe he'll become our freight, uh, freight caster. You know when they oh, the ASPN, when you when you're a former coach, yeah, and you are retired, you get to like come in and be a curler commentator. So maybe maybe we can have him do that. that. I'll have to talk do to him in about freight. it. So. we got to bring
1: in all the retired like like <laughs> the old school <laughs> godfathers of long haul trucking. Yeah. So. I tell you what, well, here's the cowbell. All Ring right. the closing bell on on the US Express era. <laughs> yeah. Well, it's
2: the era it's a new yes. era. It's a it's the end of the fuller Correct. U.S. Express Air onto a new generation. I am excited for the employees and the customers. Yeah. I think they're in great hands. I think Knight's was going to do amazing things. I'm excited to see the story play out, and I'm honored that I got to see the first generation of it be yeah. a part of it. I'm excited to see the second. There you go. Sounds so, great. I right, dinner. Craig, thank you Love so you, much. Thanks. Congratulations.
1: <laughs> Steve. I know it's a little bittersweet. Look, but it is a
2: great. Family. Look, I say more importantly, it's a great deal for all the stakeholders, the customers, yeah. and the employees. Have found a fantastic home. And I think there's no prouder uh, thing than seeing that
1: live on. So, yeah. all right. So, you guys take it easy. So, See, people are whatever. like Rachel, like when this news happens, because then she can report on these kinds That's of things. That's right.
2: <laughs> as, a, as a journalist, I will say this even though I, I sort of have interest in the story, personal yeah. interest in the story, I was excited because of the the just the. The, the news, like there's like yeah. this big story, It's the second largest truckload transaction uh, in terms of size and history. And it's just a big day and a big moment. So
1: it's like, that sucks. What do the clicks look like? <laughs> <laughs> so I will right, we'll see. We'll see guys, you, Craig. Appreciate it. Appreciate it. Wow. Big news. Big news for Chattanooga. Uh, Craig said it perfectly. Family legacy. Obviously, will live on. We'll still be seeing those. U.S. Express trucks. I gotta tip the band real quick here. Supply chain challenges are not always easy, but the commitment from the team at Dunavant Logistics to take on, that responsibility is unwavering. Dunavant, logistically speaking, they are at the center of it all. Visit them at dunavant.com. All right, meanwhile. This primitive world, Earth, what do they have that could possibly stand against the Empire?
2: This giant supply station must be an advanced military outpost, the Wall of Mart. Ah, I see. They grow their warriors to immense proportions. Most impressive. Perhaps we should recruit these giants for our own army. Or not. And look at these vast stockpiles of high-calorie sustenance. Surely they fuel their oversized defenders with these. I can't imagine the sugar rush they must experience on the battlefield. A whole section dedicated to miniature replicas of their heroes. How quaint. I wonder if they have a little me... Oh yes, they do. Complete with a tiny choking action. These domestic contraptions appear to be more advanced than I expected.
1: <laughs> the thing was completely made by AI too. It's getting a little, getting a little scary out there. All right, it's uh, Rachel Premax. She's the editorial director over at Freight Waves. What's up, Rachel?
3: Hey, how are you?
1: I'm good. Rachel, there, there's there's a there's a shipping related art sculpture sitting on I-10 in Palm Springs called the Sleeping Giants. Take a look at this and and, and review it for me. Tell me what you think of this sculpture. OK, now it's it's by um, an artist. His name is uh, Mark Johnson, I believe. And is it Mark Jacobson? I'll figure that in a minute here. <laughs> Either way, he put this big sculpture out here on on I-10 and he said it harkens back to the shipping crisis. You think it looks good?
3: Oh, I see. Um
1: It already got tagged okay. too. It's been up for 4 days and someone If you see this picture, someone already spray painted and graffitied it.
3: It's a little annoying when you see the larger landscape cuz that's a beautiful mountain and sky and I don't know. I I mean, you can see shipping <laughs> containers if you go to a yeah. port. Like you don't you don't have to see them everywhere. You also see shipping containers pass you on trucks and trains okay i don't know i guess maybe, rachel Cremac. i guess maybe he really has an emotional connection to the shipping crisis and he just wants to always harken back to it
1: it kind of looks like know. the uh the wall in arizona they were trying to build out of the shipping containers either way that might not be up for yeah. long it violated some some permit but if you are an art lover head down to I ten now. Rachel, Craig, and I talked about the uh, like emotional and the personal side of the deal, and Craig Fuller, the the man and the, and you know the son of Max Fuller, hearing about this. But let's talk about the deal a little bit because look at this trailer count, look at this truck count, look at look at the size of the brand new Knight Swift U.S. Express. What do you think?
3: Yeah, it's. I mean, well, obviously Knight Swift was already the largest truckload carrier in the U.S., and now it's just even bigger. Uh, yeah, they acquired it for about eight hundred and eight million dollars. Uh, it's the largest acquisition they've made since twenty twenty one with the AAA Cooper transportation deal. Um, it's a it, it makes a lot of sense, you know, as you and Craig were discussing, US Express had certainly been struggling these past few years, even amid the amazing uh, what was going on in truckload volumes, US Express was still struggling. And I think, as as Craig was talking about, it's a really good way for Night Swift to get this uh, this large trucking fleet, well maintained trucking fleet, has a great brand, you know, good operations already happening, and build that up to have a better operating ratio and just be more efficient than it is today.
1: Yeah, total count all told now approximately twenty five thousand trucks, ninety three thousand trailers. 39,000 employees and revenue of $9.6 billion. Eye watering numbers. Um, you know, I, I asked Craig, any predictions? Do you think we're going to have any more big mergers?
3: Well, it does seem that Night Swift is still interested in purchasing something that would build out their LTL network. That's kind of the big uh, next thing that uh, people are seeing for Night Swift. I think what Craig said about Schneider makes a lot of sense if they're building up this huge pile of cash and and doesn't and and not currently spending it it makes sense that they would also be looking to acquire i think it is a really good time for large trucking companies for large truck fleets to ac- acquire other ones that might be struggling might not have the financials to go through this next downturn i think it makes a lot of sense for these acquisitions to really start to build up this year and next year
1: you know a lot of trucking companies out there they've been eyeing produce season. This is we need it to save these volumes. We need a really good produce season. And unfortunately, you published an article saying that because it's really rainy in SoCal, people can't see the sleeping giant shipping containers cuz they don't get like getting wet out there, but it's also washing all the strawberries away.
3: Yeah, yeah, it's it's throughout the state of California we're seeing these historic floods and this historic rainfall. And on one hand, it's good because, as anyone who's been kind of paying attention to the news in California these past few years, they've had really exceptional droughts leading to these massive forest fires. But now we've we're kind of seeing the opposite, where we're seeing this unusual level of rainfall. And what it's what's happening is that the fields where strawberries and lettuce and tomatoes, where these are grown and planted and harvested. Those fields are so waterlogged that workers can't even get into the fields to pick or plant um, and do all the things that we need to in order to have this fruit and these fruits and vegetables. Uh, so it is certainly going to be delaying produce season, and it's even going to be shrinking uh, the, crop, the, the, the crop volume that we were previously expecting.
1: Well, it's also delaying my prediction that the second half of the year is going to be better i think it's gonna it could (laughs) take to the third quarter rachel i don't know this is each week that goes by and we're in this the thing too is like a market it's kind of boring because it's been going down for so long too and it's like yeah it's still just dead it's still dead nothing to say here i remember brad jacobs we had um transparency 19 and he was like the best thing about this business is volatility because that's when you can you can make money but the worst part is when you're at the bottom of the hill like we are Right now. Now, Rachel, before I let you go, though, we, we brought this up and it's like Chekhov's gun. We mentioned the Big Mac index before, and now we actually have to show it to to people. What can we glean from this? I would. Tennessee is getting too civilized. We're already up to four eleven. We need to we need to be more like our neighbors in Arkansas with a three ninety five Big Mac.
3: Hey, you're still in the in the light yellow yeah. territory, at, at least. I mean, if you start getting moving towards that orange, that's that's where you're in trouble. Um, Michigan is higher than I thought. I am shocked that Michigan is like that darker yellow, um, and I see that I gotta get out of New York, move to Pennsylvania or Tennessee or somewhere.
4: <laughs>
3: it
1: is, what do we? Not what are California, about? What if we go wide? What if we look at the other? Because the most expensive here is five thirty one. That's in. Alaska, I mean, this isn't, there's no real surprise here. Like New Jersey, New York is expensive. California is expensive. Places that aren't as expensive aren't as, like it lines up pretty much with most cost of living. So I can see why they use it. But internationally, let's see here. Show us this, guys. Yeah. Switzerland, Switzerland, 676, even worse than Hawaii. Norway, the Swedes, but US, we're not doing so. Like, this is our own stuff. Why aren't, yeah. why are the Russians only spending 229 and we yeah. got to spend $5.28?
3: I'm honestly shocked at how low Japan is because it's not – I mean, I'm shocked that Japan is below, like, Czech Republic, around the same territory as China and Poland. I I mean, I don't know. They could be spending a little bit more. I hope no one in Japan watches this and gets mad at me. But um, (laughs) the U.S. map was interesting, not to stir up some controversy, but you could look at the Hawaii and Alaska uh, Big Mac as, you know – Yet another sign of the Jones Act. <laughs> I don't want to get Jones Act don't Twitter sorry, on me. Don't summon but, them.
1: You say it three times, yeah, yeah, the, I'm the, sorry. the trolls will show up.
3: I shouldn't have said it, but I did. Alas.
1: Hey, Rachel, don't you have a sh- you have a show coming up soon? Don't you tell us about that? Is it when? When's yes, it out?
3: Yes. So uh, Thursday at two p.m. It will be every other Thursday. I'll be talking about you know some of the top topics in transportation, you know, it could be any, just like the Modes newsletter, which so many of you have been kindly following along these past few years, it'll just be whatever is the top topic to discuss that that week or that month. Um, So we'll be talking about barges, rail, trucking, packaging, really all over the place. And I think it'll be a lot of fun. Um, Just like the newsletter, it will be I think it'll be interesting to those who have been in the industry for decades, for years, and also those who are new, those who don't know anything about uh the world of freight. So I think it will be interesting conversations for anyone to to tune into.
1: Very, very cool. And you can find that on Tv.freightwaves.com and would also be an audio podcast. Can uh, can people like to walk around and listen here too?
3: Yeah, yeah. I I I'm definitely someone who is more likely to be tuning into podcasts than video so we will also be having podcasts the the audio recording wherever you listen to your podcast normally
1: Rachel thank you so much go have fun thank you seize the day take it easy speaking of season of the day coming in from vacation it's Alan Adler, Scottsdale, Arizona Midwest Bureau Chief at Freight Waves you catch the uh, WBC last night or you've been too busy on vacation because that was amazing I did ca- that was amazing teammate for I mean, teammate they,
0: they could I mean, that's amazing. I'm trying to figure out for fantasy ball how we treat uh, Shantae Otani because if you start him as a pitcher, do you get to start him as a hitter? i got to ask our commissioner that. I don't know the answer, but um, if I get the opportunity, I'm taking him.
1: I know it's, like, hard – MLB is always trying to get – younger viewers and like how do we do the sport and the WBC does it so well because it brings in that like international crowd who chant and like they're into the game and I realize the stakes are much bigger when you're talking about baseball you've got you know over a hundred games a season there's not a lot of stakes it can it can get a little dull making but what they put on there is just fantastic I would take this every year Alan
0: You know what? Here's the here's the other thing they've done now to attract a younger audience and maybe even people like my wife. Uh, We went to a game yesterday, Duner, and it was about 30 minutes shorter than it was a year ago because of all these rule changes that are coming in that don't really uh, take away anything meaningful um, from the game. A lot of pitch clocks, a lot of uh, you got to keep moving. You can't just. You know, volley gag out there is—I think that's from Bull Durham. But you know, I, you basically the game is moving along much more brisk. I think games are two hours and thirty minutes now versus three hours last year, which is amazing. I'll
1: take it. Well, you, why you're in Arizona because you were, you were visiting Nicola? Were you not?
0: i was i was i was visiting nicola and i spent some time at too simple over in tucson which uh we'll write about next week when i'm not on vacation um nicola is very interesting there's two stories going on there right now you know one is the financial story which we've covered you know pretty extensively and will continue to a uh, company that really is in some financial uh, difficulties um not unlike a lot of other companies that are startups but what's happening in Coolidge, Arizona, which, for those of you who don't have a map handy, is between Phoenix and Tucson. Um, basically, there is something really cool going on out there, which is not just building electric trucks, but also prepping for a hydrogen business. I mean, it's an awful lot to take on at one time, and it's very expensive to do it. And Michael Loescheller, who's the CEO, said, we need partners. We need their money, uh, you know, to make this work. But is they, is are they doing really, it. I got to I mean, ask that, you a question. Yeah. Hold on,
1: Alan. I, I, yeah. He's like a body double for the— for for Torx, uh, for Torx CEO. Are these the same guy?
0: No, no, they're not. Um, uh, Moe is about four inches taller, or maybe six inches taller, than uh, than, uh, than Peter von Schmidt. Um, in fact, I have a picture that I won't use of Michael standing up inside a Nikola truck because oh. he's six foot eight and yeah. he could stand up inside it. Yeah. Um, but it would be not right to use that picture anyway i did take it um i i will tell Wait, you on, that Alan, um well, hold on Alan,
1: I, got, I got some pictures i i have some pictures can you can you tell us what we're looking at here well there he is there's the gentleman we're talking about yeah. is that he was standing up inside that nick
0: he, he can get in that truck and stand up inside it. Yeah, it's pretty spacious in there. Yeah, this is – okay, so this is the end of the line um, at Nikola. And, again, we were there uh, about a year ago uh, for kind of a made-up event where they had about 12 trucks they had built, and they had the names of the customers on them. If you notice that VIN number in the windshield there, 308, if you can read that. Um, basically, they're in the 300s now. These are the battery electric trucks. Um They've got a fully loaded line, or line fill is complete. That's an insider term, I guess. Um, It's an L-shaped production line, essentially starting with the frames, and then they build the frames, they flip them over, and then ultimately they're mated with the cabs. What they're doing now, doing you know, is they're starting to localize a lot of the material uh, production out there. Um, you know, almost everything was imported initially. Uh, the cabs still come from Madrid, Spain, but um, uh, but they're starting to localize a lot of the parts in them. Here's the body marriage line. Uh, this is where the cab gets attached or you know dropped onto the frame and, and attached. You can still see the blue thing is the automated guided vehicle under there. It will disappear. As this moves on, the wheels go on the truck, and then it's moving through the rest of the production line on its own. Okay, here's one of the hard things uh, for Nikola: there is not a lot of infrastructure out there. That's their reason. It's true, there's not. But they also have an awful lot of trucks that they've built that are sitting, waiting for either uh, software upgrades, which they can do over the air, or uh, more likely to get them out to dealers. uh, You know, when dealers have customers for them, but. Matching up the infrastructure, whether it's, uh, you know, like a, a tritium mobile charger, which they'll happily lease you or actually getting behind the fence charging set up, you've got to have a place to charge these things or else, as I said in my story, they're just nothing more than paperweights, right? Big ones.
1: You're giving me whiplash, Alan. So you're impressed. So you published an article a couple weeks ago that was like, "This company's run out of money. They're not gonna. They're not gonna make it to the end of the year." And then you published uh, on Friday that you visited, and this is a real company, and they're they're really at work. So
0: what's going on there? What's what? What is the state of Nicola? But both both are true, Duner. Okay. The interesting thing is that there's more going on than you would expect to see for a company that's having this level of financial difficulty. However, the cash burn that they're running through, and there's been a lot of money to do this right now is something that they've got to begin to generate meaningful revenue so that they can continue to service their debt and basically, uh, you know, keep selling shares. They authorized a bunch of new shares so that they can raise money. The problem is the stock is under $2 a share. So you have to sell a lot more of it to get money in. And uh, so the auditors do not think that what they have in terms of uh the ability to, to to sell shares should count in terms of something that goes towards viability. So therefore, even though they can sell the shares, the auditors are saying you can't count that. You've got to just look at the amount of cash that you have, which is uh you know dwindling. Wow. Any chance knight swift picks them up? <laughs> Won't be night nice, Swift, but I definitely think, uh, you know, my prediction on this one uh, is that they do get bought um, or at least a, a major partnership kind of thing. And I like BP for that, for the simple reason that BP has been buying up stuff recently. They bought a company called uh, uh, Ampli, which is a charging company. And this is lunch money for somebody with BP, you know, to, to pick up Nikola. It wouldn't, it wouldn't be that extraordinary. And you've got to look at the number of former BP people that work at Nikola. Including the head of their energy business, um, so I think you know I like them as a as a really good prospect to either partner in a significant way. Uh, you know, stations would be the the, the uh, hydrogen stations would be the small side of that. Because the other thing, and this is really where the focus at Nikola is right now, isn't on battery electric; it's on hydrogen trucks. You know, fuel cell, which comes out later in the year. There, there's your trailer. This is the uh, this is the the thing that they can haul to a. A company's business—you can fill essentially two trucks off of these back to back, and then you bring a a refueler with it. So there's another truck that goes with that, but but you can haul this hydrogen. This is something that Nikola actually developed itself, uh, you know, for for mobile charge, mobile fueling. Going to be important because hydrogen stations. Nikola says sixty by. 2026. They've announced four of them so far, all in California. But it is going to be um, a, a, a big lift to get all this work done. But both things I wrote, believe it or not, are true. I mean, they, they're having financial trouble, but they're also really developing an interesting business out there, albeit with a lot of moving parts.
1: Interesting. Well, Alan, thank you so much for your time today. I hope you enjoyed your visit over at Nicola. Everybody check out his show, Truck Tech. Subscribe to his newsletter. Follow him on social media alan i appreciate you buddy
0: thank you brother
1: take it easy sir all right everybody send us the hard stuff that's what donovan logistics says when you run into that really challenging logistics nightmare that keeps you up at night call the good folks over at donovan they make headaches disappear visit them at donovan.com but right now we're gonna visit brian runnels he's vp of safety over at reliance partners brian what's up ha- what's happening man how are you doing or how have you been Never, it's never a boring week in freight. There's always just some, some news or just something going on. Big news in Chattanooga. You know, any, before we jump in, any thoughts on, on US, USX? Knight Swift, you're you're out here in Chattanooga. Well, I I live in Indianapolis, but of course, Reliance
5: Partners is there <laughs> in Chattanooga, so I'm there quite a bit. But you know, it it's definitely going to have an effect on on the town. Uh, as far I don't you know I don't know if it'll have an effect in the way of jobs, but I think it'll have a maybe like a culture effect or, uh, you know, night swifts. They're a good company. They've been, they've been around a long time. Um, You know, actually this thing over my shoulder right here, that that's my dad's million mile uh, award from swift. So, you know, it been involved in that company before, and I think it, it's going to be a good outcome for everybody.
1: Well, a little cab for million miler swift dad, Let's get into a topic here, though, Brian. What is better, company policies or guidance? Which which actually works in practice?
5: It is a truthful thing of it depends on what it is. If it's directly related to the FMCSRs, then it probably requires a policy that has direct consequences. You know, there's no gray area. This is what happens if you do this. Um, guidances and, and processes That that can fall under, you know, like bad weather driving or, you know, who knows, maybe they've even got some time off guidance or something like that. It's it's something that you want to have more flex that you can have more flexibility on um, and not be so black or white that if this one particular things happen, if one particular thing happens, it has to have this specific outcome.
1: You know, in almost every company, there's the handbook, and then there's the way the company actually works. So that's sort of like how there's policy, but guidance is like, what are the actual rules? How do you follow them? And what are the unwritten and non-unwritten things that need to be to be done? But how do you provide good guidance then, right? And where do you split the difference?
5: You know, it, it, the policy part of it. Um, you know, we when we go out to to customers or prospects, and you know, we look at their their safety. Policy manual, and it's you know as as thick as the FMCSRs. Uh, it, I you definitely know that there's some things that aren't being followed in there. Either they're old, or uh, you know they don't even apply anymore, uh, or just forgotten. the The guidance part, a lot of times, you know, it the guidance has to be written, but it has to it definitely has to be written in a way that it suggests that it's a guidance. It's not. A hard fast rule and you know the easiest example i can come up with is that that bad weather driving and the reason i that we talk about that one is we saw a large company a few years ago just get completely devastated on a lawsuit because they had a policy against driving in certain conditions and the accident which was no fault of their own that someone came across hit them head-on but they went against that policy, so something like that it's a it's a better thing to have that guidance um, than it is to say, "We can't do this."
1: so how do you how do you institute some of that stuff without alienating drivers? I talk to drivers all the time. I read driver forms all the time. I spend a lot of time listening to this community, and one thing they always complain about is some of these policies are overhanded or heavy-handed, and it causes conflict between the organization and the driver. How do you navigate it?
5: You, and that's where some of these guidances are really pay dividends, because a lot of it is through communication efforts, through the safety department, through operations, um, to the drivers and back and forth. It, there has to be some cohesiveness as a company. You, you can't make guidances and they're not telling anybody what they are um, as far as. And and I was this way a while back that, okay, we need a policy for this, 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 this. And then as I look at it, you have those occasions that, okay, the policy's broken, but you've never had any other issue with this driver. Do we have to fire him? Well, according to the policy, yes, you do. Um, So with a guidance, you, you just have that flexibility. And yeah, a lot of times companies... Policy manuals are so thick and so um, micromanaged that it is heavy-handed on a driver.
1: So should policy manuals be orthodox, or is there flexibility within them?
5: Not within a a, a true policy. If this happens, this is the result. There's no black and white. Um, So, you know, your your reasonable suspicions, your um, drug and alcohol policies— passenger policies, things like that. There is no give on that. But, you know, when you start talking about policies for driver's time off, uh, or, or something like that, that's probably more of what you would want to use a guidance for or a process for.
4: Interesting.
1: Well, before I let you go, then what would be like an example of good guidance or, or, or presenting that within an organization? Good
5: guidances would be um, keep going back to the the winter driving or a pre trip yeah. and a post trip. You know the the policy reads in the FMCSR that the pre trip has to be done to the driver's satisfaction. Okay, the a guidance can go above that and say, you know, we need you to. The guidance is to take pictures of any defects or or however that's written, and then communicate that through the entire um the entire company to get that buy-in and you know you you use it on something look we don't want to put a policy in place we want to keep this in a way that we work together to create something better so i I think it's easier to get a buy-in on a guidance or a process than it is to put another policy in place
1: makes a lot of sense makes a lot of sense hey Brian, thank you so much for your insight on this. Anybody out there, go check out reliancepartners.com and look up my buddy Brian Runnels if you want to talk about policies and guidance. Thank you. Sh- thank you, sir. Enjoy your Wednesday. Thanks, Judah. Have a great one. Take care. All right. It's that time of, it's the time of the week to bring on the super trucker. <laughs> there That's we right. go. <laughs> kind of the train horn. I'm gonna get the we're gonna get them a new horn. We will we, we'll record one out in like. In the wild, Justin. How you
4: doing, buddy? You know,
1: you a baseball guy?
4: You watch the World Baseball Classic at all? No, my father in law calls like every night, saying, "Oh, did you guys watch this? Guess what's that?" We're like, "Nah." My, my wife's a bigger baseball fan than I am, and I'm not much of a fan at all. Yeah. Did you catch the Last of Us finale? What did you think? Yeah, uh, I'm very curious to see how they're going to adapt uh, the second game for season two because season one was very like one on one with the video game. Yeah. Yeah, well, in, in, sometimes in a good way, sometimes in a bad way, I thought. I thought
1: sometimes, yeah. like, they really removed the, like, the fear of the clickers running around and the fear of, like, spores and everything. Because so much of that's gameplay in the game. But, like, yeah. you get that experience when you take it out. It's sort of like, why, 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 do, why do they need a cure? It, to me, it made, like, yeah. Joel's decision at the end very easy. It's like, how, how are they going to even make a vaccine in this dirty hospital?
4: Yeah, and it, one of the problems with the pacing in, in the game is you know, you're know you playing the game for a while and then you get a pause through cutscenes, whereas you're watching the show, it's just one giant long cutscene. So the pacing feels different from the game. Yeah, it absolutely does. You know, speaking of movie magic, speaking of
1: cool things, you broke down JCVD. Mm-hmm. There's this really cool ad. I believe it was it was Volvo who it, did it. Let's take a look at the, the TikTok and then we'll talk about this.
4: Do you remember this cool Volvo ad from a few years back with Jean-Claude Van Damme doing a split between two trucks? Uh, let me show you a little trick here on how they pulled this off here. So the truck on the right here is the actual combination tractor trailer. The front box is a truck, the rear box is a trailer. The truck on the left here is one frame. It's all a, a single box truck. And it's the only one that actually initiates the drift to the side. If you look at the truck on the right here, it's running a perfectly straight line the entire time here. It's still really impressive. Being able to drive a tractor trailer like this backwards for this length of time, uh, without making the trailer swing is super, super impressive. Uh, so kudos to the coordinators here and planning this and pulling this off here. But you can tell, look at the truck here. That's a straight truck. And then this one here is the actual tractor trailer. You
1: you aren't Still impressed really at cool all by H1 Jean-Claude's off. ability to, to splay his legs uh, at 90-degree at angles like that?
4: Well, I'm talking about it from the driver perspective. He does this much than I Justin. ever will. So, you know, I, that goes without Justin's saying. Justin's <laughs> muted. Unmute, Justin. Uh-oh. I'm muted. Yeah, now you're back. How about now? What were okay. you saying, my yeah, friend? No, I d- hear you. Jean- Van Damme's been doing the splits since before I was born. Um I'm just talking about just from the driver's perspective. So yeah, his his splits are amazing. That that goes without saying. He's been doing the
1: splits as long as like US Express has been around. Since at least nineteen eighty five, he's been he's been making those legs part. Yeah, legit. Uh, You have, you start speaking up. You might need his training because you are trying to get into a blood sport (laughs) with this trucking guru. I have a short clip uh, from this. We'll play it and and tell me what this is all about. Roll the tape.
3: I'm getting all these messages
0: on my Instagram of people talking about, how can I get down with you? Put me on, put me on.
4: He just posted this two days ago and his Instagram's already deactivated. So that's red flag number one.
0: So today I'm going to teach people how to make money with the trucking game, man. This is all trucking industry money. None of that illegal. I'm not stupid
1: to post illegal money. Uh. <laughs> okay, well, no one asked you if you had illegal money, buddy. A little defensive there. <laughs> do protest too much. So what is your issue with this
4: guy? What happened here? So or, back in like the late 2000s, we would see guys on YouTube with like all these like trucking courses saying, oh, yeah, come on in. I'll teach you how to start a trucking company, how to be your own freight brokerage. And the problem with the, well, the nice thing with the internet is like those channels are still up and you can see what those guys are up to now. And none of them are into trucking. They're all into other scams. Um, So when we see these new ones pop up now, it's nothing we haven't seen before. Um, This guy was also stupid enough to post photos of his paperwork with his uh, MC numbers for both his trucking company (laughs) and his uh, brokerage on there. So immediately everybody in the comments like Googled them and yeah, he's been reported uh, to freight guard. So. Probably no legitimate carriers will work with him, which is why he's now selling fifteen hundred dollars courses on social media rather than just concentrating on uh, keeping his drivers paid and happy. Did he go on a bank run or something? What was what was it there? was that all the cash he owns on the desk there? I, I don't know. A lot of the, some of the, the, the whole video itself is like ten minutes long, and he's talking about you know step one have twenty thousand dollars like okay good yeah. luck with that, and then step two was like don't put your money in bank, put it in gold and watches. And all you got to do is Google, you know, the price of watches over the last six months, and they've just tanked. So he's, he's, he's just giving bad advice left and right. He needs to do, like, the
1: Andrew Tate thing and get a little more over the top, too, and have, like, airplanes, like, <laughs> crashing in his yard, like, CGI airplanes and stuff. And he needs to go full full hog on this. You ever get yeah, burned?
4: Previous, have you ever got know, burned ever by what? one of these guys? Have, have, have you ever got scammed? Um. So he one of his advice is like hire a driver off a of Craigslist, and yeah. <laughs> I was stupid enough to be one of those drivers back in the day, and yeah, working for guys like that it's it's impossible to get paid uh it's usually ten ninety nine so you're not getting benefits or anything um they're only paying you by the mile, so if you're stopped somewhere and it takes them ten hours to load you, you're not getting paid for that if you gotta sit for two days while you're waiting on a, a load somewhere, they're not paying you for that so yeah no it, it, his advice just left and right is it's it's all vague and you know, telling people, "Hey, hire a driver for Craigslist," and then, oh, by the way, listen to this story about the time I hired a driver off of Craigslist and he abandoned my truck in York, Pennsylvania. Like, that's just you know, anyone listening to what he's saying, just take what he says at the beginning of the sentence and see how it compares to the end of the sentence, and you can see like it, it's none of it makes sense. Yeah, Craigslist
1: isn't a a load board or a driver sourcing board. I mean, it is, but you're it's, you know, <laughs> know, where you are. It's like anything on Craigslist, you're putting yourself in an unsecured, potentially risky situation. <laughs>
4: And, and, you know, not for nothing, I I wouldn't have worked for the post office if I didn't uh, become a mail contractor through Craigslist. So there are uh, diamonds in the rough out there, but you really got to know what you're looking for. All right. Let's jump into some unpopular opinions.
1: Mine is that the prequel trilogy is better than the original trilogy. Oh, I'm sorry. This is what are your unpopular opinions about the trucking industry? Um, The person who posted this, they said, I'll start. ELDs have saved the lives of many drivers due to companies not being able to work them to death. Unpopular? You agree with it? What do you think about ELDs?
4: It's it's either or, you know, it all depends what you're hauling, who you're hauling it for and where it's going. You know, obviously you are the captain of your ship, so it's up to you to decide how you're driving. There's a lot of drivers that complain about, you know, they are tired and they want to stop and they get kind of pressured from the dispatchers to keep going. And then you have other guys that are just in it for the money and they would run 40 hours straight if they could. Yeah, it's true. Well, you know, the, uh, from the other side too,
1: from like the managerial side, or if you're an owner operator or you're you're someone who's overseeing that company, one benefit of the ELDs is, is you do get that data too. You understand how long your drivers are sitting for and resting for. And I don't know if we always use that stuff very well in this industry, that data, but it's there. We're never good about penalizing shippers for abusing our drivers with that data,
4: but it does exist. Turns out like it's usually just a driver that gets abused by it, but it's out there. Yeah, and it takes all the guesswork out of like enforcement too cuz you can tell the driver like no you can't keep running cuz you're out of hours. Like it's there's there's no responsibility on you as a dispatcher unless you're trying to do this stuff, you know, you know outside the legal limits. How about this one? As as libertarian as drivers
1: try to present themselves, we need the DOT. Drivers and trucking companies will not police themselves.
4: Uh, that's you ask five drivers that same question, you're going to get fifty different answers because all depends on like what state you're in. Yeah. Um, in Indiana was the first state I had my—I'm sorry, Wisconsin was the first state I had my CDL in, and getting that transferred over to Indiana was like a huge pain in the neck. Um, so yeah, some states are easier than others. But but what is your opinion on that? Oh, uh, it's kind of like the devil you know versus the devil you don't. It's like yeah. okay, we get rid of the DOT. What are we replacing Chaos. it with? Are we just self-policing? Yeah, good luck. Good luck. You see what the rail does when you when you self-police them
1: or you let them yeah. b- buy off? I mean, I don't yeah. think so. What about this one? Th- this is this is a hot butt issue. Should littering be a six-month license suspension? And this came up, like, so Molson, I talked about Molson in his yard, and he goes, how do I monetize this truck? It's parked there. And some people are like, hey, I used to let the drivers park there, and I kicked them out because they leave bags of pee and bags of poo, and they make the place just disgusting. Well, this guy says littering should be a six-month uh, license suspension. You, do you think we should be that harsh?
4: Yeah, absolutely. You know, trying to find parking or services anywhere is a challenge right now. And anytime a company is willing to open their doors to you, um, drivers will just abuse it any chance that they get. And I I think that you need to have very strong uh, enforcement uh, against practices like that. This one ties into your podcast
1: because I think you were talking to uh, a boomer driver about the young Gs and this guy says truckers need to remember where they came from when they talk down to a rookie. Every single one of us started with zero knowledge at one point. It doesn't hurt to help and teach a rookie saying this as a rookie. What do you say?
4: Yeah, everyone kind of gets like that once you get older. I do I obviously I, I always remember, try to remember where I came from, but at the same time, you got to respect your elders. They know more. They've forgotten more than you will ever know uh, depending where you're at in your career. Wow.
1: So sit down and shut up, younger. Youngster, drive yeah. that car. <laughs> Speaking <laughs> of the podcast, Bad Max is on there. Where do people find it at?
4: Uh, you can find it on any major podcast platform. Uh, we have the article up on backthetruckup.com. You can find it on uh, uh, Apple, Apple Podcasts, podcast, Spotify,
1: Spotify, wherever you listen. We're,
4: we're going to work crazy. on getting it up on YouTube this week, too. So stand by for Man. that. Yeah, is that up? It will be today. Okay, get it up there. Get it up there. I'll let you go so you can get through that. But he's got to go. He's got to go upload a video. I got to
1: go get this master. Thank you for hanging out with us today on this show. Find me on Twitter at Timothy Dooner. Subscribe to this show wherever you get your podcasts. Uh, look us up on Freakways YouTube if you want to watch this in stunning HD. Don't be a stranger.